Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back, Maximizers. Episode 259 of Maximize Your Influence. As we talk about critical life skills to increase your performance, your persuasion, your influence, your negotiation, your mindset, and of course your favorites, your income. Kurt Mortensen here as we take a deep dive in the world of persuasion and influence. little housekeeping, do appreciate your comments and your emails. That is always available at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's also the website for all products, services, coaching, and a link to InfluenceUniversity.com, which is the home of the PhD Advanced Program and the free resources available, which includes the archives of this podcast. I've been nowhere this week. I think it's about the first week in about five or six weeks. I haven't been anywhere. I've done nothing. Well, that's not true. I've done a few webinars, taught a few college classes, but didn't have to fly anywhere. So that feels a little better catching up on things. It's a strange thing that when you travel and do a two, three, four day seminar, it's almost like you've done nothing. So even though you're putting your heart and soul to teach eight to ten hours a day, you get home and it's like, oh, it's time to catch up because you haven't been doing anything, even though you have been doing things. That's alive when you teach seminars. So it's been good to catch up, enjoying the end of summer. Fall is hitting. Hopefully you are getting close to achieving your goals for the year. Got some great content to help you out today and some tools to take your life and your income to the next level. So let's start off with our geeky article. This is from Behavioral and Brain Sciences, Volume 33, if you need to know, in Cambridge University. And Dr. Henrik and Dr. Hines saying that we are weird. Our findings are weird. Our studies are weird. You're like, okay, what does that mean? Well, a little foundation. I've always been concerned with the collegiate studies that are they studying the right people? Are they looking at the right cultures? And so I've always pulled from persuasion, influence, negotiation studies from around the world to make sure they sync up. But what they found out is that most studies are weird. And what weird stands for is that most studies come from Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic societies. That's the weird. That's the acronym. Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. They found that as much as 80% of the study participants were from these type of countries, and that's only 12% of the world's population. So that's not representative. So we have to take a look at the studies we're doing, that if you do the studies in England, or in Europe, or in America, or in Canada, that you might not be getting the right results based on the world's population. In fact, there was a study done that looked at the top journals and the six sub-disciplines of psychology found that 68% of the subjects were from the U.S. and 96% were from these weird or westernized industrialized nations. Europe, North America, Australia, Israel. And they talked about that. That works out to 96% concentration on 12% of the world's population. 
In other words, you're 4,000 times more likely to be studied by a psychologist if you're a university graduate or undergraduate in a Western university. My point being, be careful of the studies that you listen to. I screen our studies pretty well on the podcast and my books and the research. Try to get different fields from around the world. But just because you see a statistic or a study that was done in one of these weird societies, remember that stands for Western, Educated, Industrialized, Rich, and Democratic, that you have to understand is that human nature. For example, we know that scarcity or psychological reactance is across the board. We know that reciprocity or obligation is across the board. And even though when I speak to different countries, I think I'm up to about 28 countries around the world, it's always the same potatoes, but you do need to adjust the gravy. And it's important that we realize what you think and what you do, what your culture, what your society, and I know this podcast reaches a lot of different cultures, that you have to look to other societies and look, is this human nature or is this a cultural phenomenon or a thing that happens in your culture? Because many cultures are individualistic, like the United States. Some Asian cultures are more collective, and it's about the team. Some cultures are anti-power. That happens in Western societies where power is not as powerful as it used to be. I guess that's a word we're going to use versus some cultures like India. Power is power. The boss is the boss is the boss. And so we have to take a look at different aspects of the world, different cultures, different personalities, and adapt and adjust. So I thought that was interesting things for us to know when we look at statistics or studies that we look at with a grain of salt and realize, is this a worldwide thing or is this a local cultural country thing? Now let's get into our blunder. Homer, go! Don't, don't, don't! Hotels.com is our blunder. They do a lot of things right with social validation. 80 people look at this property. Three rooms left at this price. The social validation from the testimonials, but they blew it for me and I won't be going back, even though I was pretty loyal to them. I do enjoy their loyalty program where you reserve 10 hotel nights, you get one free. I mean, it's also nice to have some perks and something they give back. But I mentioned probably a few podcasts ago that I was in Pittsburgh with my daughter doing some business, having some fun, visiting some old friends in the Berg, fellow Pittsburghers. That's where instead of you all, you use the word yuns. How yuns doing? <laughs> kind of interesting slang that you'll need to know if you go there. Anyway, before we talked about this, there was a massive rainfall to where on the freeway we couldn't go more than 20, 30 miles an hour. We need to get to the hotel room. Flash flooding warnings. The sirens were going. Things were happening. You're like, okay, yeah, whatever. And we experienced flash floods where we're going up a hill and the water was pushing us down where we saw a car get stuck in a little ravine that was going underneath a railroad bridge to where it was only a foot of water, and 10 seconds later it was four feet of water, and luckily we were able to get them out. Anyway, we had reserved a room with Hotels.com, couldn't get there, flash floods, debris, water. We called the hotel and said, look, we can't do there. They said, we know a lot of people can't get there, don't worry. We won't bill you, but of course Hotels.com did because they do the billing. And through customer service said, look, this would happen, take care of it, make it right. They wouldn't. First of all, the first two or three emails were those generic ones where you know they didn't read the email, where it's just an automatic response, which makes you more upset and more aggravated. And after a few more replies, like, sorry, nothing we can do. You reserved the room, less than 24-hour notice. It's not our fault. 
I'm thinking, hello, I've got permission. Here's the person's name. They said, don't charge it. They never reversed the charges. They never cared. They never called. Just a few snotty emails. That's the scientific word of the day. Snotty emails to where, sorry, nothing we can do. So they are the blunder. They are crossed off my list. No longer doing business with them. All they had to do was make it right. And they refused and now you know about Hotels.com. Tell your family and friends about the blunder. They don't care. They just want your money. When you feel that way, of course, you never do business with them. Be careful that your prospects, your clients, your customers do not feel that way. Let's do a little podcast listener email. Oh, boy. This is from Larry in France. It says, Kurt, love the podcast. People good work. I am becoming more persuasive and influential. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about body language and first impressions and connecting with people. But last week you mentioned a French study about touching. I am fascinated. When is it okay to touch? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a personal thing? Is it a relationship thing? Does it increase your ability to persuade and influence? You mentioned a little bit about handshakes and some of the rules. When can we touch? When is it okay? When is it not okay? And how do I know when I'm connecting with somebody or especially the person of the opposite sex. All right. Well, Larry, a lot there to talk about. I don't know if we'll get it all to it today, but let's talk about that study you were talking about. We mentioned last week it was a French study in the Journal of Social Influence where these young men were standing at street corners and talking to women who walked by. If you truly want to know a lot more about Touch and Influence, it's podcast 114, and that's in the archives at influenceuniversity.com. It's the free part of InfluenceUniversity.com. And they did this over three weeks on a street corner. 120 young women were included. And they had these men strike up these conversations and they just lightly touch women's arms as they talked to them. And it doubled the success rates in getting them to stop and starting a conversation. There is something about touch. We mentioned last week, you got to be careful. There are rules, there are cultural things. But there is something about rapport and touch and connecting that we can help you out. Give you some little research and help you understand the world of touch and influence. Now, touch can help or hurt your rapport. Depends on culture and the relationships. But a lot of people that are touch, there's a connection that puts them at ease. They're more receptive to you and your ideas. But there are some safe places like an arm, shoulder, back, or hand. And it's appreciated. And for most people, it's liked. Some people don't like to touch no matter what. Some cultures like Russia, there's a lot less touch. But for most cultures, depending on relationship, touch can be a good thing. In fact, there was a worldwide study done on social touching. Dr. Civilietto, Glarine, Dunbar-Hari, and Numenia, if I got those right, Department of Neuroscience and Biomedical Engineering, and the Department of Experimental Psychology, different universities around the world wanted to look at touch, human bonding, the relationships, where to touch, where you shouldn't touch. And they did find that touch is a powerful tool of communicating positive emotions. And of course, you're going to put these links on MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You can take a look at them. As they looked at touch, powerful emotions, but they want to look at the social bond, the relationship, and they looked at over a 1,000 people in five countries to find out where it's okay to touch, when is it okay to touch, to understand touch and how powerful that it is. They also looked at 42 different studies on touch and human nature and bonding. 
And they had people look at maps from the front of the body to the back of the body of male and females. And they put little heat maps on them if you're interested. And they took a look at the relationship. And that was the biggest indicator was the relationship. Now, was it a partner that you lived with or was it a stranger? So it went from stranger to cousin to uncle to brother to sister to father to mother to friend to partner. The results really aren't that surprising. The stronger, better the relationship, the more you can touch. And there are more safer areas to touch. When you look at the stranger, pretty much the whole area is black and dark red. So it goes from black to dark red to yellow to orange to yellows to white. Right? White is okay. Black, uh uh-uh, dark red, don't do it. So to a stranger, the only areas that were white were the hands. You know, the handshake, touching the hands. I've mentioned before in podcasts that librarians who touched on the top of the hand got better evaluations. And then light red was on the arms. Everything else was black and dark red. You don't want to touch their face, their buttocks, of course, or their legs. Gets a little weird. Now with the cousin, it lights up a little bit as far as more on the arms and shoulders. And the face, interesting enough, is a lot lighter. When you go to aunt, brother, and sister, a lot more on the face and the arms, and the legs get a little lighter, which is interesting. Get to mother, and a lot more touching on the legs is okay. To friend, the friend, you have all the arms, shoulders, and most of the head, although the legs are still a little dark red. And of course, the no-no zones, as they teach at elementary school, all of them are dark until you get to the partner. And pretty much on the partner is all white. There's really no off-limits and... I guess that makes sense with intimacy and a few other things. That was the heat mat. So touch is a real thing that we need to be aware of as we work with people and understand where can you touch somebody. Because again, touching makes us feel appreciated. We feel rapport. puts people at ease. Gives us a positive perception. We know waiters and waitresses that touch get better valuation, make more tips. One study was done that was interesting when I was doing research for Maximum Influence. And of course, if you want the new edition of Maximum Influence, pick up a little shipping and handling. That's at lawsofinfluence.com. There's our plug for the day. An interesting study by Dr. Hornick at Syracuse University found that lightly touching bookstore customers on the upper arm caused them to shop longer. That was 22 minutes versus 14 minutes. And to purchase more. Went from $12 to $15, and I'm rounding those numbers up, but it made a huge difference. He also found that supermarket customers who had been touched were more likely to taste and purchase food samples than non-touched customers. And of course, I've mentioned before, and I even mentioned last week, that handshake is a form of touch, accepted around the world, that a bad handshake will set you back one hour in building rapport. Now, you don't want to waste that time, and you should learn to adjust Handshakes by gender, by position, by culture, by personality. You should adjust it a little bit to make sure you're connecting. What are the big complaints? Well, as I talk to people and I've done seminars, the crushing, manly handshake, the wimpy handshake. That's why I say adjust because some are too strong, some are too weak. You should adjust it based on the person. Too many pumps, right? After 10 pumps, you're like, okay, dude, enough. Two to three pumps is enough. Too sweaty, too cold, or grabbing the fingers known as the finger squeeze. Pretty simple. Make sure, first of all, that they want to shake your hand, especially if you're influencing up. 
make sure they extend their hand first. You have enough time to check that out. If it's a male person, they might come up on top. That's a power struggle. Just go with it. It's probably not a big deal. Mirror their strength. Two to three pumps. Square up your shoulders. Point your toes at them. Smile. And make sure your arm's completely extended. Pretty simple, but a lot of complaints here where you think you're doing okay and you really aren't. Now, Larry, if that's your name, I don't know, it's not a very French name. You didn't tell me if you're from France or you're relocated. Kind of sounded that you had lived some time in England. But uh, anyway, Larry, the other part of your question was how do you know if you're connecting with somebody, especially the opposite sex? Now, that's not what this podcast is for. But since you're asking, I might give you a few tips here. And, and some of these you can use generally across the board. This is not a dating, picking up people podcast. It's just persuasion and influence in general. But there are some body signs, things you can look at that you are connecting with people. Let's deal with people in general. But I think the first thing to look for is things or signs that you're disconnecting. When people are putting their heads on their hands or if you're looking at them, their shoulders are turned away from you, their feet are turned away from you, those are signs that you're not connecting. They look rigid in their posture. Their movements become more mechanical. They keep crossing their arms or their legs, biting their lip, rubbing their nose, looking indifferent, or even looking older. Because when you're indifferent, your facial muscles hang and you look like you're older. I mean, if you're connecting with somebody... The head usually tilts a little bit. You'll see the nodding up and down, the posture be relaxed, they're making decisions, they lean forward, they smile more, you have more eye contact, they start to mirror your movements, your energy, they might touch you, their palms will be more open, I mean, their legs will not be crossed as much. Again, these are general things, and that's the key here. You're looking for clusters, two, three, or four things that indicate what you are looking for. I mean, those are some general things. That needs to be a whole nother podcast. But there are a few things that we notice when people are flirting or connecting with the opposite sex. Some study shows that you're playing with your glasses is a sign that they want to touch you. Take that for what it's worth. If they're walking beside you, not ahead of you or behind you, that is also a good sign. They graze your shoulder, your forearm, your hand. There's little pieces of touching that you're looking for, that is a definite sign that the connection is starting to happen. And of course, it's obvious if they hold your hand or put their arm around you, you're getting closer. One interesting study showed that touching your throat represents vulnerability, and that's an indication that they're interested in you. One thing we've talked about on past podcasts are pupils and the eyes, and the eyes are window of the souls. And When people are interested in a product or service, idea, or you, pupils tend to dilate. It's usually an indication that there's an attraction or bonding or interest. Along with that, the eyebrows tend to raise. You tend to see them smile. And it's a true smile, not the fake family reunion smile where I'm glad to see you, but their eyes smile with their mouth. Along with that, they might... Lick their lips, not in a creepy way, but in a kind of an interesting way. Along with that, too, sometimes the eyebrows are raised. And there'll be more eye contact. They'll be looking at your face, maybe your eyes a little bit more. They might take deeper breaths when they see you and they're around you. Hopefully, they're leaning forward when they talk. There's less proxemics or space. If you're talking to a stranger, 
there's probably two to three feet of space, but hopefully that space is getting smaller and smaller. The smaller gets is a big indication that they are interested in you. So, all right, Larry from France, I indulge you. Not a big part of our show. <laughs> I've been invited to how to pick up on women seminars before. I've declined, not my niche. But anyway, hey, I'll indulge you. And for everyone else, whether you are just connecting or doing business, reading body language, understanding touch, knowing that when you've connected, you've built rapport, people are much easier to persuade. It can make a huge difference in your success and your income. So thanks for listening today. Appreciate it. Tell your family and friends about the podcast and even your enemies. And of course, we're also on Pinterest and Instagram at Max Influence. If you want the daily updates of the different tools of persuasion and influence. But of course, like I always say, master these skills, learn the tools, go out and make the world a better place and learn how to persuade with power. 